0: To the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Uh, We're continuing our series on Luke tonight, and uh, we're going to tackle some verses in Luke 12 that, uh, if you didn't pick up maybe from the Old Testament reading, uh, are not the normal verses that that you hear on an average church service. And so I think it's it's wonderful to teach through the Bible because sometimes you can't uh, skip over stuff. And uh, especially in, in my situation, you know, Pastor Brady is really kind of the one who sort of sets the text for, for each week, and, uh, and then I work, we work together on kind of what we're going to say about it. So it's a little bit like the lectionary, only it's uh, different, but um, <laughs> just in the sense that I don't get, get to choose it. So here we are dealing with some passages, some words of Jesus that are apocalyptic, that are strange and fantastic, and I, I don't know uh, what, what your impression is or your, your uh, sort of vision is, if I say the word or the phrase, end times. Uh, I grew up in Malaysia, but you'd be surprised how many things from the West uh, make it over to Malaysia. And so when I was growing up, although maybe about 10 or 15, maybe sometimes 20 years behind, so I remember in the 80s, which maybe it was a decade late, I don't know, but the the, the movie that was sort of big in our church was Thief in the Night. Anyone ever see that? Yeah, a couple of you, Thief of the Night. Uh, there was uh, Late Great Pla- uh, Planet Earth or Prodigal Planet or something like that. And then there were these tracks put out by Chick Publications or whatever. And it was just very dark. You know, there's like a Grim Reaper. And every- it was all about the end times. Anybody? Am I the only one here? Anyone? Yes? Not? Am- yeah. Okay. Yes? No? Yes? Okay, yeah. I, I saw that stuff. And I got to be honest, I was like eight or nine years old. I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> it just freaked me out. I thought, well, this end times thing okay so this is like uh, bizarre and we don't know when it's going to happen and then all of a sudden there'll be people standing there and their clothes will fall in a pile on the floor and there'll be no body in it anymore you know like i saw a bumper sticker the other day you know in case of rapture this vehicle will be unmanned and we have these images these things that have shaped our imagination of jesus's apocalyptic words uh, that may not have anything to do with what jesus was really saying but we need to look at it tonight and kind of say, well, what, what are we to do with this? I'll say, let me say this up front. I don't think the way to approach these texts is with this sort of panic, with this kind of, oh, my gosh, I just thought oh, it's not going to be me. It's gonna, the Lord will take her and not take me, and I just, because I forgot to confess that one sin, you know? And every time we think about this subject, there's just fear conditions are thinking. I want you all to take a deep breath. We're not going to let fear condition our thinking here, but we want to to deal seriously with this text. So we're going to hop over in a couple different places. We'll go to Luke 12 first. Um, Luke 12 verse 49 is where we'll start and we'll read the rest of that chapter. And then we're going to flip over to Luke 21 because Jesus picks up on some of his apocalyptic words and says more about this, these images and and language that is really just startling and and, and, uh, with, with images that we don't normally hear from Jesus. And uh, and we're going to look, kind of have your finger in both passages, and we're going to look a bit back and forth here and kind of talk about it. But to get the little, the the backdrop here of this, um, you remember last week I was talking about this when I said, because we taught a little bit on Luke 12 last week, I said, look, the the backdrop for understanding how uh, maybe a first century Jew would have thought about the age to come or the end of this age uh, is language that maybe needs a little bit of explaining. And just to recap briefly, the thought of the big idea is this. You and I have been trained to think about God in terms of how can God get us from earth to heaven. That's not at all the the language of the, the Jewish hope. In fact, if you read the Psalms or read the prophets, particularly Isaiah, what you'll see is language of the people of God saying, Hey God, when will you, the God of heaven and heaven's armies, come down and act on earth? And so the preoccupation is not, hey, God, life's really bad right here. What must I do to get from here to there? Instead, the thinking was, when is God going to come and make it all right here? When will the God of heaven act and bring heaven, bring his kingdom onto the earth? And, and maybe even to change, to change the, 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 the image a little bit, we're seeing two lines. I think of it maybe as one line. One line that is kind of this age. This is the, the age, the hour, the time that we're living in. And then there is this age to come. There is this, and, and they develop this kind of wrinkle in Jewish theology because they were doing all the right things, they thought, but God was not acting here and now. And so the, the, the options were, okay, either God's not really faithful, and he's not really going to do what he said, or he is faithful, but he's got a different timeline than we have. And so there'll be this age And then there'll be this age to come, which is the the, the age when Yahweh will act and make it all right. Now, Jesus throws in another wrinkle to all this and says, actually, this age is coming to a close while a new one is already dawning. And there's going to be some overlap. And all of you are going to be living between two ages. And that's going to cause for some seismic, cataclysmic conflict in your life. That you're living between two ages. Last week, the meta- one of the metaphors, I, I had the most um, prop-filled sermon ever. It was very Aaron Stern of me. If you've ever been at a mill, Aaron Stern's full of props. I had props last week. and, um, and, and one of, But one of the uh, metaphors we were working with is, is the, the one of jet lag. How many of you do international travel? you know, I see Bruce, you know, flies for American Airlines. A lot of us travel internationally. And so sometimes, you know, when you're getting ready, I've crossed the Pacific Ocean 25 times now. And sometimes when I'm getting ready to go, it's always like a midnight flight out of LA or San Francisco. And I'm going to Malaysia or Singapore or whatever. And I know it's, okay, it's 14 hours ahead. And so I start telling myself, it's not midnight, it's two in the afternoon. Now, If you push that behavior to its logical conclusion and say, I'm going to live like it's two in the afternoon on this airplane while everyone in my cabin thinks it's midnight, you're not going to be a very popular passenger. The lights are dimmed, you know, the blinds are shut. They're not going to serve food for a couple of hours. Everybody's trying to sleep and you crank the lights on and you're doing stretches in the aisle. I mean, people are going to be like, dude, sit down. Living like it's day, like we heard the New Testament reading tonight, living like children of the day while all around it's night is going to get us into some trouble. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is saying is, look, to those of you who are following me, don't think this is going to be easy. Something cataclysmic is happening. A shift is happening. All right, here's the text. Verse 49 I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and Jesus is using baptism language to hint about his death and resurrection to say this is my task to undergo and what and what constraints I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? Well isn't that what the angels sang at your birth? No, I tell you, but division. What? And we're forced to kind of wrestle with a Jesus about whose birth the angels said peace on earth here it is and there is a sense that that's true that he's the one the only one who can reconcile things and bring them back together and yet there are going to be those who oppose that and as a result peace will not be first Uh, simeon the prophet in luke 2 says about jesus he says this child is destined to call cause the rising and the falling of many This life, upon this life, is going to hinge some who rise and some who fall. This is very consistent with what Jesus goes on to say about himself. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. This is all poetic language. It's a way of saying this whole family is going to be split up. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And some of you are like, "Mm, that's already happening. Kidding. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth, the earth, and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Wow. Why don't you judge for yourself what is right? Jesus is saying, look, this is on you. To make sense of it, to recognize it, be alert. As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Now, this seems like a strange section. Wait, wait, wait. I thought you were talking about reading the Times. Now you're saying... Try to cozy up to the adversary before you go stand before the judge so you don't get sued for every last penny? Huh? How does that how's it all fit? Hang on. Luke 21. We're going to read this passage first, and this is going to be a long one. Flip over to Luke 21. Keep your finger in Luke 12. And I'm going to give you three different ways of looking at both of these sections, okay? But Luke 21, verse 5, we're going to read all the way to verse 36. So buckle up. This is the most exciting comic book vivid imagery that, that are found in the gospel. Some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. Now imagine this. They're saying, what a beautiful building. Wow. Praise God that, we, that, that somehow he used even Herod and wicked, wicked people to build this thing. It is really beautiful. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another way to ruin the party. Jesus, every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they're about to take place? And he replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, the time is near, do not follow them. And when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened, these things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. And then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. (gasps) Now, these are all the verses that fill those movies that I talked about. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Massive, you know, sort of apocalyptic movie. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you and they will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and sisters and relatives and friends. Here's that language again from Luke 12. And and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. God bless you. Have a good day. But not one hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. And when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you'll know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Why? Because they can't run so quickly. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against the people. (laughs) You're laughing. It's true. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. But anyway. Anyway. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles, and the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. (gasps) Breather. Here we go. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for heavenly bodies will be shaken at that time. Now listen to this phrase. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Did we already hear that read tonight? That was in Daniel 7, wasn't it? In our Old Testament reading. And when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. We're going to stand, stop right there. Now, there's a couple of ways to take these passages. There's a couple of things that we can do with them to sort of make sense of them. The first is... Maybe the least talked about one, but there's a, a, a tremendous amount of validity and legitimacy to this. And that is that Jesus is talking about his own death and resurrection. So we're going, how, how, whoa, 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 how, how can that be? He's talk, I mean, th- these are, th- this is the end times stuff, right? Isn't Jesus talking about the end times? Now listen to this. He says things about the sun and the moon. What happens on the day that he's crucified? The sun becomes dark. He talks about earthquakes. What happens on those three days, that weekend, that holy weekend, the ground itself trembles and shakes. And then he says, and the Son of Man, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with glory. My whole life, my whole life, I've thought about it as Jesus coming down on the clouds with glory, sort of surfing on a cloud, you know, hey guys, what's up? But when you just read Daniel 7, what was the image in Daniel 7? There's a great God, the Ancient One, who's up there. He's the judge over all nations, and one like the Son of Man was coming on a cloud. And the Ancient One gave him authority over all nations. Which way is he going? Up or down in Daniel 7? There is a sense of looking at these words and saying, what Jesus is saying is not something way off. He's not forecasting, predicting kind of end times prophecy. He's saying, you want to know when the end of the age is coming? It's coming now. It's coming when I die and take the sin of the world upon myself. It's coming when all the weight of evil is on me. And it's coming when I rise again, When when the resurrection happens and when I ascend. That's what marks the beginning of a new day. Something is already ending and something's already beginning. It's not happened before. This is the cataclysmic event. The, the truth is, guys, there is only one historic event. And that is, there's only one event that changed all of history in the truest sense of that phrase. That's Jesus' death and resurrection. When you read the great theologians like Karl Barth and Jürgen Moltmann and all these guys that talk about what it means for the end and all, uh, with regard to Jesus' death and resurrection, what we understand from this is in Jesus' death and in his rising, he's brought an evil age to its final hour. And he's brought a new day of hope at its first break of dawn. Everything changed with Jesus' death and resurrection. Everything's different now. There's something in us that wants to say, "Yeah, really? Come on, look, look, look! look, look what's changed?" I mean, there's still wars and there's still stuff and all. But Jesus has said, "That's why part of this is be alert." Do you get that, your children? That's why Paul says in, in the verse we read for the New Testament reading. Don't don't you see, your children of the day? Nobody else knows that anything's different, but you guys are in on God's secret. You guys are in on it. Listen, this is why the church, several hundred years after the fact, reflecting back on Jesus' death and resurrection, said, You know what? This is so massive that we've got we, we to, since we're in charge of the world now, um, tongue in cheek, let's, let's rewrite the calendar and let's make the date, diff, dates different by the arrival of Jesus on earth. When did the end times begin? When did this evil age begin to end? And when did the new age to come begin to end? arrive with jesus it's already here and so a very real way of looking at these words of jesus and taking them seriously is to say he's talking about his death and resurrection and in fact in luke 21 verse 32 jesus says truly this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things happen oh wait a minute those guys all died so there's got to be something true here. Okay, what about, so second lens for this, and I don't want to say theory because I'd rather use the word lens and I'll, I'll say why in a moment. A second lens for these words is the warning, warnings about the destruction of Jerusalem. Here's Jesus saying there's going to be a day where they surround the city, right? We just read this and they're going to surround it. And it's woe to people, to pregnant women on that day because they're, they're going to be all around. You can't get away. You can't escape. What's he talking about? Just a vague event? America under attack? No. He's talking very specifically because what happened in the year AD 70? Jerusalem was destroyed. This happened. This actually happened. And it happened in their generation, in their lifetime. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm not, I don't want you to think that you're going to overthrow Rome. It ain't going to happen. Jerusalem's going to burn. That little passage in Luke 12 about on your way to the judge, if you can settle, settle quickly because otherwise if you lose, he's going to get you for every last penny. That may be, just throw this out there, that may be a reference to Jesus' way of saying, look, to all of you zealots and political groups that are trying to use the kingdom of God as a political project, ouch, that's nothing like us, right? For all of you that are trying to take the kingdom of God and you work it for a political angle and overthrow Rome, you better get it right between you and and the Roman officials. Stop this rebellion thing because if it comes down to it, they're going to drag you to court and get every last penny out of you. What we know from the history of the first century is that many Jews did not listen and it was because of some of these uprisings that eventually led to Rome saying, burn the city every last penny that makes sense? That's one lens for this text. Now, I can tell, just looking at your faces, a lot of you are not convinced. Because, doggone it, there's got to be an apocalypse. And what about the market meltdown last week? And what about the tsunami? I mean, like, come on, Glenn. I think it's okay to say that there's something future about this text. That there is a way that, of reading these words of Jesus and saying, maybe they are also exhortations about the return of Christ. Maybe there is a sense of the Son of Man coming on the clouds uh, being a double reference to His ascension, but also His return. Because we know that just because He ascended, that, the rest of that verse in Daniel 7 says what? He was going to rule all nations and make them obey Him, right? Is that happening? No. Will that happen? Yes. And so this is the trick here. Is What Jesus has done is taken classic Old Testament images of a one-time event. Isn't it going to be a one-time event? This age will end. The age to come will begin. Jesus will rule. Or the Messiah will rule. woo And Jesus is saying, uh, yes and no. The shift is going to happen now. Like, think of earthquake, tectonic plates. The seismic shift is going to happen now with my death and resurrection. There's an arrival of the kingdom now. But there's a future part of this. There's a future dimension. There's going to be this culmination day where Jesus comes and reigns. And in that sense, you could take the, 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 the parable about walking with the judge and get everything right before he makes you pay to every last penny. On that sense, you could take that to be a parable about repentance and saying, look, one day the judge is coming. And you better try to get reconciled with the judge now before he makes you pay every last penny. That's certainly a legitimate way of viewing that parable. Now, I know what you want. You want me to tell you which one's right, right? Come on, on, Glenn, you're your pastor. Tell us which one's right. I think that all of them are valid lenses for reading this. In fact, I think to appreciate the richness of the text, we need all the lenses. I went to Walmart today to pick up a little kaleidoscope. It's pink because I have girls in our home. But kaleidoscopes are pretty cool because you, you point them toward the light, and then you start to, oh, look, there, there's a different, you know, and these, these beautiful little plastic jewels in here make different shapes and patterns when I spin them and twist them. And Sometimes reading these texts require us to read them like a kaleidoscope. To kind of say, well, here's this one lens of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. Here's this lens of the destruction of Jerusalem. Here's this lens of the future. And we kind of put it together and say, wow. That's not going to give you the month and the day and the year. But it's going to tell you what's happening. One of the things that's maybe most confusing to people is... Apocalyptic language in the Bible is very different than prophecy in the Bible. A prophetic language, when you study as a genre of of language, prophetic language is designed to get you to act. So think about when when, uh, Joseph interprets a dream, he says, okay, there's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of lack. Therefore, when when stuff is good, store up, right? Prophecy is designed to get you to act. Apocalyptic literature is not designed to get you to act. Did you know that? When you read Revelation and these images and Jesus' words here in Luke 12, it's not designed to get us, because I know all of us are saying, okay, so how many gallons of water should I be storing up? Is the market really going to melt down? What does Luke say about that? Apocalyptic literature is meant to sort of say, to pull back the curtain and say, let me show you the real world. Let me show you what's really going on. And then you'll live differently in light of that. Anybody seen the movie The Matrix? Yeah? Yes? No? Maybe? Uh-huh. The Matrix is a modern version of apocalyptic literature. Why? Because it's all about saying, this world isn't real. It's a machine. The machines are controlling us. You just think it's real. And it's a little bit Buddhist too. But, but it's also apocalyptic. <laughs> but there's, there's this... There's this vibe in the matrix is trying to say uh-uh what you think is happening isn't really happening let me pull back the curtain and show you <laughs> that that's what jesus is doing is he's saying to his disciples look you got people over here who want to overthrow rome you got people over here who say everything's fine rome loves us we love rome and they're both wrong let me pull back the curtain and tell you what's happening the son of man He's bringing the kingdom of God here and now. And because of that, the plates are shifting. The world is changing. History is becoming different. When I die, when I rise, everything will be different. He's pulling back the curtain and saying, look, this is not what you think. This is is different. Now, when I think about us and I think, well, well, what? What do we do with this? Okay, if this is true, we're saying, all right, God, well, yes, here we are. I I think there are a couple of things that we can say. All right, maybe the Holy Spirit would say these three things to us. First of all, be alert because there will be separation. Be alert because there will be separation. Imagine standing sort of on ground that you think is sort of fine and all of a sudden... It begins to shift. Actually, maybe a better way to word that is there already is separation. There is the shifting of it. And we're supposed to live according to a different time zone than the rest of the world. This is the whole thing with the, the, the talk last week with the jet lag thing is what's uniquely different about the way Christians live? In a phrase, time zone. We live like Jesus is already the ruler of all nations. That's why a family like the Stearns can say, well, yeah, this doesn't make sense. The time zone of the world says, no way, you're crazy. You're at a big church. You're, you're, uh, you're an elder here. You got all this. stay here. Here's all this stuff. But the time zone that says, no, no, Jesus is already king. I don't live by that ruler. I live by this ruler. And he's saying, go. So I'm going. Can I say something to you, friends? In love, and in, but in, in, in all honesty, I think there's a lot of us that don't realize that we've got one foot on one plate and one foot on another plate, and the ground is moving. The ground is moving. And there's a lot of us that maybe need to rethink some of the way we live and some of the decisions that we make that we're just sort of living as if it's all right. I love the way the message paraphrase of that New Testament reading tonight says, Oh, it's fine. Whoa, no, no, no. Something cataclysmic has happened. A shift has occurred. I've never been big on telling people, okay, therefore don't do this, or therefore don't do this, and therefore don't. But I, I, I have to say that, that sometimes I'm, I come into conversations with young people who discuss or mention certain things they're, they're doing or seeing or movies they're going to watch and all this stuff. And there's a part of me that thinks, wake up. Wake up. Do you think you can skate by and just sort of inundate yourself with the, the language and the morality of this time zone when there's already an age that has begun that says you belong to it? Do you think you can start to sort of, oh, no, it's fine. Come on, let's just go do that. I mean, it's just, it's just whatever. I mean, I don't care. It's it's the latest, greatest sophomore nudity-filled movie, but it's just a bunch of guys having a good time. Ease up. Wake up and be alert. Wake up and Be alert. Because this is not the time to have one foot on one, on one part of, the, of this thing and the other on the other because you, you, there's a shift happening. You ever tried to walk up a down escalator? <laughs> Doesn't work too well. You make a lot of people angry. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to walk up in a particular way. And the, the stream, the flow is this way. And there's Jesus saying to his disciples and to us, be alert. There's a separation here. Brother against father and son against father and daughter. There's there's something that's separating here. And I'm not going to tell you what the line is or where the lines are. And I'm really not concerned about the language of lines. What I want to say to us is live like Jesus is king. Live like Jesus is king because with his resurrection, the age of his kingship has begun. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And one day, he will be the Lord of the whole world. And one day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of of, of his Christ. But right now, all of us are to live like he already is king. By his grace, by his spirit, wake up. The second thing here is to be courageous. There will be opposition. Be courageous because there will be opposition. Here again, the language about Jesus saying, you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, but I tell you, division. One of the reasons being the church is so important is because it's a way of reminding ourselves that we're not citizens of this world. When I, um, when I came to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, to go to Oral Roberts University, I, I had lived in the States before when I was 10, and, but I'd gone back to Malaysia at 13 and lived there for you know, four more years. And by the time I came back to go to college, I was 17, about to turn 18, but, and, uh, and got on a plane by myself, you know, flew out there totally young and scared. And um, I came in a spring semester to make things worse, so I'd missed like freshman orientation and orientation groups and all this. I didn't even know there was such a thing as orientation groups. Like, you know, that would have been nice, <laughs> meet some other freshmen. I came in late on a Sunday night, didn't even have a room to stay in. All the registration stuff, that was closed. And very quickly in my time there, I-, I met some other students who were from Asia. There actually, a number of them were Indonesians. And, uh, and I met them, and, and we instantly hit it off. Now, I've never been to Indonesia. They had never been to Malaysia. There's a lot that's different about Indonesia and Malaysia. But compared to where we were, we were like brothers. <laughs> and so that semester, man, I, I went to the Indonesian church in Oklahoma City every weekend. I ate their food. We hung out in the dorms. It was like We were like a colony of Southeast Asia <laughs> in the middle of Tulsa where everyone was still shocked that we spoke English. (laughs) Gradually, I made friends with the dark side, the others, and ended up assimilating, and so did they, and it was all fine. But that first semester, it was me and the Indonesians, man. It was awesome. That is a picture of what church is supposed to be. I don't mean, listen, you you know me by now. You know I'm not saying let's huddle together in our Christian ghettos and never go out in the world. You you know I don't mean that. But there's something here with this is the reason why we gather on Sunday nights. We don't gather on Sunday nights so we can check our card and show God so he'll give us a sticker at at the beginning of the week. We come because we remind ourselves that we don't belong here. We gather as the people of God to remind ourselves that we do not belong to this age. We belong to the future. We live according to a different time zone. We have a different king. And so we come and we say the creed and we take communion and we say we are part of this body and we drink this cup to remind ourselves that we have been forgiven. We're not a people clawing out here to impress God with good works or that, or nor are we people that live according to materialism. We are supposed to be this gathering is supposed to be the thing that shapes the rest of your week. There's a reason we meet on Sundays to say on this first day of the week, Resurrection Day, may the people of the resurrection come together and remind themselves that they belong to the future. And so you go to work tomorrow and you live and you live differently. But since there will be opposition I think part of where the courage comes from is each other. Courage comes from praying for one another at communion each week to say, hey, be courageous. Finally, be prayerful. There will be redemption. When these things take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, this verse is right after Jesus has said, the Son of Man will come on the clouds in glory. So if that did, if they did interpret that and apply that towards his ascension, they would have said, all right, lift up your hands. Here we go. Our redemption is drawing near. (laughs) You guys think we should do something? Isn't it supposed to like, all right, there's this room in Jerusalem where we could all kind of gather and wait and the spirit gets poured out. What do you you guys think we should, I I mean, maybe we should Maybe we should continue in prayer because, I mean, our redemption. Here we are 2,000 years later saying, our redemption is near. (laughs) Be prayerful because there is redemption. This is why I said that we don't approach these texts conditioned by fear. We approach these texts conditioned by hope by the hope of a king who has come and who will come again. Whenever, without this, we will always read texts like this and start thinking in terms of evacuation. God, get me out of here. Oh, man, when the moon turns to blood and the earth shakes, get me out of here. We'll always think that God's idea of hope is evacuation. But it's not. Or maybe we'll think that God's idea of hope is compensation. Well, sorry that it kind of sucked down here, but I'll give you heaven and that'll be really nice. Or maybe it's cons Did I say consolation? Maybe it'll be consolation. Geesh, sorry about all that opposition on earth. Sorry about all that stuff where people were against you and... Whoops! Anyway, here's a banquet table. (laughs) What? It sounds funny when we say it, doesn't it? But if we're honest, that is what we think of. God's plan must be evacuation or compensation or consolation. When the truth is, the word here is redemption. And redemption has nothing to do with getting you out of here. Redemption has nothing to do with, let's make it up to you. Here's some cherry pie. Redemption has everything to do with God saying, let me restore it. Let me make it right. One day, we say this in the creed each week, we look for the what? Resurrection of the dead. That's coming. That's coming. For all the saints at rest or with Jesus or however we say this, there's coming a day that we're looking for. The resurrection of the dead is redemption and the life of the world to come. One day, this age to come that's already begun in Jesus will reach noonday, will reach its fullness. And that's the day that speaks of redemption. That's the day that speaks of new creation, of new heaven, new earth. That's the day. Now, if that's what you see, do you think you could be courageous here? If that's what you see, that God will one day redeem and restore and set right and make new, do you think you can stand in the face of opposition by his grace? I'll tell you what, I don't think we have a chance at all of standing if we're waiting a rescue, to be airlifted out of here. That doesn't help. But if you know that the same God who will redeem all things is empowering you now by his grace and by his spirit to stand, that's how you can go to work tomorrow. That's how you can go to class tomorrow. That's how you can live upstream each day by the grace of God, because you know, I have a redeemer. I have a redeemer. Redeemer. I have a Redeemer. Because I have a Redeemer, bring it on. Bring it. What do you got? This is the way the first Christians acted. Okay, well, Peter, okay, they're arresting us. Well, we've got to obey God rather than men. Peter, you know that's going to result in them killing you. Yeah, but there's going to be resurrection and redemption. So bring it on. You read the stories, the the, the little letters and fragments that we have of martyrs like Perpetua, saints that are burned, saints that are put in in the gladiator college, and you think, how, what allowed them to be alert and be courageous and be prayerful? Because they know that there's redemption. They know that there's redemption. So what? What's the worst that could happen? You move to Fort Collins and... You're broke for a year, and what's the... So what? There will be redemption at the end of this age. Do you know what I'm saying? This ought to make us, in some ways, fearless about following Jesus. You can't be killed. You can't be stopped. There will be redemption. It's a reminder that you belong to a different age. It's a reminder that what Jesus has done with his life, with his death, with his resurrection, is to shift everything. We pray tonight. I um. I um. Want to give us just a couple moments and let you be still here, even as the music plays, and and maybe if you have a journal or, or a piece of paper to write some things down, but. I, I, this is not one of those sermons where I can give you like, okay, so apply it this way, this way, this way. But I trust the Holy Spirit to do that with His Word. So take a minute or two and just just sit. Just, just sit for a minute. Say, alright, Lord, in what ways do I need to be more alert, more careful about what I'm doing and saying and taking in, and watching? In what ways do I need to be more courageous? <laughs> not obnoxious. I don't mean that. You know I don't mean that. In what ways do we need to be more prayerful? And as you think of these things and write these things down, maybe in your journal or your piece of paper, this is not stuff we're going to go white knuckle tomorrow and do it on our own. No, this is something we're going to pray and ask God by His Spirit, by His grace, to help us. So take a moment. we thank you that you sent your son. Thank you that we have forgiveness in Jesus. All of us repent tonight for our lack of alertness and watchfulness. All of us repent tonight for our lack of courage. All of us repent tonight for our lack of prayerfulness. We thank you there's forgiveness in Jesus. But God, we want to do more than just ask for your forgiveness. We want to ask for the power of your spirit. I want to ask for your grace to empower us. Quicken in our hearts all every day this week things that we need to be more alert about. The ways that we're trusting in money or trusting in this world, living like we belong to the wrong time zone. Convict us of that. Wake us up. And Lord, give us the courage to follow Jesus. And Spirit, lead us to pray. Lead us to our knees each day big and small ways to say, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, help, help at work today, help at home today, help, help, Lord, help. We love you. It's by your grace we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Let the church say, amen.